we've been in this series called um, Blank Slate, and the idea is basically, um, what if you were to start your faith from scratch, from the ground floor, um, if you were to reconsider everything, or to pretend as if you'd never heard anything about the Christian faith or about Jesus before, and maybe some of you, you haven't, right? You're just checking this out. But even if you have, what would it look like if you were to just wipe everything clean and to begin from the ground floor? Because for most of us, what happened is, it, it, what happened is that we were handed a faith as a child or as a young adult, and, and, and we've really never reevaluated that faith, but as we've experienced life, there's been a gap between the faith we are handed and the, and, and those ex- things we've experienced in life. And, and for many of us, we, we never wanted to walk away from faith, but we just woke up one day and we realized that there was this huge gulf, there's a huge gap. Um, and so during this series, Blank Slate, we've been asking, what if we were to wipe the slate clean and to start over? Um, we are bringing this series to an end. It's one of the longest series I've, I've done, um, but I really thought there's a lot of things for us to explore uh, uh, that I thought were important for us to explore. So we will, next week will be the last week um, at Blank Slate. Um, but today, I just want to give you a disclaimer that this is probably the worst sermon I've ever preached. Um, good sermons should typically have scripture in it. This sermon, there is a scripture at the end, but that's more just so I don't get fired. Um, uh, uh, And it's a slightly disturbing um, sermon. Um, And in fact, the question I'm going to ask you at the end, so you can go ahead and start thinking about it now, is um, what disturbed you most? But what I want to do is I want to talk about the concepts faith and belief, because faith is perhaps the most mis- or confused and misused and abused concept in religion. Now, we can quote verses from Hebrews about, about people who've had faith, but that doesn't really help us explore what faith is or what belief is and how it functions. And so I wanna, what I want to do today is I want to step back and look at the context of those words um, in, in, a, in, a, in a broader framework. And, and I'm going to use faith and belief interchangeably. And, and what I want you to hear is that there's nothing magic or different about religious faith. Re, the word belief is not a religious word. The word faith is not even a religious term. They're used often in the context of religion, um, but there's more going on to um, faith and belief than simply religious belief. Um, belief is just belief. You express belief every single day. Every single day. And, and so what I want to do is I want to look at these concepts, make three kind of general observations, and then um, I want to talk about faith and belief in the context of religion. But number one, the ability to believe is the most powerful force at humankind's disposal. The ability to believe is the most powerful force at humanity's disposal. Now, we could go on all day about this, but you're smart, and you, you, you can figure, think more about this later. But, but everything that has ever been done in the world, whether good or bad, was done because somebody believed it could be done or it should be done. Everything that's ever been created began with an idea. Everything begins with a, a belief. And then we have this belief, we have this idea, and, and then what happens is we, we begin to play with this belief and think, oh, what if, what if this could be? What if, what if I did this differently? Like, is there another way of, 
you fill in the blank, right? This is how we ended up with the iPhone, right? Somebody thought there's a better way to communicate. And then, and so you have this idea, and then what you end up doing is you end up putting, um, putting words to your idea. You begin saying, you know, what if, what if the world was different? What if we did this thing differently? Every problem that's ever been solved was solved because somebody believed things could be different. And then, and then they spoke words, words came out of their mouth, and then they begin to coalesce other people around this idea. Now, Jesus talks about um, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. And, and we often struggle. We, we confess that we believe this. But most of us don't actually believe that if we had faith the size of a mustard seed, we could move mountains. Most of us. But then when we stop and think about it, just for a second, of all the mountains that have been moved by faith throughout humanity, right? cures for diseases. If you, look, if you read human history, just 100 years ago, the, the things that people were dying from seem just unbelievable to us, right? Because someone believed that, that there is a better way, that, that something could be done, that this could be a preventable disease, this could be a preventable death all kinds of medical mountains, childhood diseases that don't exist anymore are gone because someone believed that they could and should be erased. Someone talked about it. Someone said, hey, what if, what if kids didn't have to die of this anymore? And then, and then they start running their mouth and telling and talking to everyone that they can possibly talk to about it. Maybe it's a research scientist. And then that research scientist begins talking to funders and saying, hey, would you give me some money? Would you fund this, this research thing that I want to do? Because I think there is a way that we could eradicate. And then you just fill in whatever it is, like whatever that childhood disease that took so many children throughout the centuries, they believed that it could be destroyed, could be eradicated, could be done away with. And they did it. There are all kinds of mountains, educational mountains, racial mountains, mountains of slavery, the civil rights movement. We could go on and on. And have we arrived? No, we haven't arrived. But have we moved so much further than where we were before? Yes. All around the world, all over the world, we find incredible mountains that have been moved because somebody believed. Somebody said, I think the world can be different. I think things do not have to be the way that they are. And so belief leads to speaking of words. And through words and often through emotions, people begin to coalesce around an idea and a movement begins to form. Words and ideas are some of the most powerful things that humans have at their disposal. Words and belief are behind every good thing we have ever done. And... It's also behind every bad thing we've ever done. It can be a weapon that can be used for destruction or it can be used for good. Ideologies and belief systems drive world events. This power can be used for good or evil. Words stir up emotions and emotions lead to action. But it always begins with words and before words it begins with belief, right? This is how Hitler dragged the world into World War II, right? It began with words. He just, 
he would, he would hold these rallies and he would tell Germans who were beaten down because of an economic crisis after the First World War, he would tell them, things can be better. We don't have to stay where we are. We can be a great and a mighty and a powerful nation again. And it starts off that he's just like a fringe lunatic on the edge, like just kind of like speaking to small crowds of people. And then those crowds begin to grow and begin to grow and begin to grow. And people are like, yeah, we can be great again. And then all of a sudden, you don't even, it, I guarantee you, if you'd been in one of those crowds in Germany, you wouldn't have even realized what you were slipping into. And slowly people begin to believe things that maybe they would have never imagined that they would believe. And a couple of years later, the entire world is at war. And it all just began with speech, with words. This is why, just this is like free. You, this is not even part of the sermon, um, but you, this, you can, yeah, this is free. This is why rhetoric in our current political climate is so dangerous from both sides. Because sometimes we act, we begin to think it is all a game. It's all reality TV. But words have the ability to create realities. And they have the ability to create realities that we never intended to create. Words bring people together around a common idea or belief and then things change for good and for evil. It's the power of belief. That's the power of faith. And someone with persuasive communication skills, someone with powerful communication skills can rally people around the belief, can rally people around an idea. They can get up there and they can speak really persuasively and they can tell you a powerful story, either a story that, that propels you towards good or a, a story that propels you towards fear. And they, and they can say, look, the place we are now is not the place we have to stay. Things can be different. It's one of the most powerful things that humans have at their disposal. And what we all know is this, is that when we believe something is possible, we look for a way to make it happen until we find a way. When we believe something is possible, we look for a way until we find a way. That's what we do. Companies do this all the time. If you've read anything, I am an Apple geek, right? I'm an Apple fanboy. Um, I know Steve Jobs is a conflicted character, but I think he is a creative genius. And um, there's all these stories at Apple about Steve Jobs um, coming up with this crazy idea, believing that something could be done, and then going to his engineers, and his engineers saying, dude, you have lost your mind. We can't do that. There is no way that we can make a computer function in that way, or that we can fit everything that, would need to be to, that we would need to in such a small framework or such a small like, thing that you can hold in your hands. And then Jobs, because he was crazy, would just say, We'll do it anyway. Just do it. Figure it out. And then people figured it out. I mean, if you, like, go back home and pull out your iPhone, whatever the first one is, if you still have it, like that brick that you originally bought, the iPhone, whatever. Uh, was it just iPhone? Maybe it was just called, just called an iPhone, right? Now we got like iPhone excess. Anyway, which sounds like excess. Anyway, that's not the point. Um, 
He believed it could be different, that something was possible, and then they found a way. That was the gift. Steve Jobs actually wasn't that talented of an engineer or a computer programmer or anything like that. He was just a little bit off, and he believed that things could happen that weren't actually possible. And then somehow, through the power of belief and through the power of sheer will, the world changed. Things that were impossible became possible. People are constantly, if you pay attention to sports, like go back and look at all of the world records. Like it, we just keep pushing the limits of what's possible. Like we just keep breaking records that were impossible, that we just said it's humanly impossible for anyone to run that fast. And then someone does. And then we say, well, that's the fastest that anyone can ever run. And then someone breaks that record. Like, we just keep moving forward to the belief that, there is, that we can do something different, that we can grow, that we can become better. Now, here's something really fascinating. They've done research on optimists um, in, in, in the business world, and particularly optimists in, in, in the sales world. And what they've dis- they found is that if you're hiring a salesperson, if you're a salesperson, this is not to disparage you. Um, but they found that when you hire a salesperson, you do not necessarily need to hire the brightest person to be a salesperson. You need to hire the person who's got the most optimism, right? Because when, they, when, they, when they've done research studies and they've looked at like the smartest people um, and, and then the people who are most optimistic, the most optimistic people outsell the smartest people every single time. Now, this is partially because the smartest person in the room, like you just need someone to tell you this thing is gonna change your life. You need to buy this gadget. But the smartest person is like, let me explain to you all the different parts of how this is going to change. And people don't, they're like, just tell me it's going to change my life. Right? But, but, but there's something about the power of optimism. Believing is seeing. And you believe something long enough, you'll start to see it. And if you believe something long enough and you communicate well enough, other people will start to see the things that you believe as well. Now, and the other thing that kind of frustrated me is that um, this maybe not, didn't happen to you, but this happened to me. That I had friends, I'm stumbling because I'm, this is a little awkward to say. I have friends that I am smarter than. Um, and I'm guessing that you have friends that you are smarter than. I know you have, I mean, you're smarter than me. I mean, when the, like the schools that many of you went to, they wouldn't even like let me visit the campus of, right? You're, you're smart people. And, and I have friends that I'm smarter than. And I have one particular friend that I'm thinking of. Dude just isn't that smart. His GPA was 1.8. He never graduated from college. But he has more money than every person in this room put together. And it's so frustrating because we, we have these moments. We have these moments. We have these moments where we meet somebody who, who creates a company or develops something that makes them a ridiculous amount of money or their idea just changes the way we do things. And then you have a conversation with that person and you walk away from them and you're like, they're not that smart. I could have done that. But the problem was, and this is true, the problem is you're, you're a little too smart for your own good because had that idea come to you, you would have told yourself 15 reasons of why it was a bad idea. My friend who's not that smart, he's just like, oh, no, this can be done. I'm going to do it. And then the ridiculous thing is he somehow does it. Right? That's, how, that's how this works. Belief trumps IQ almost every single time. 
belief, the idea that we could do something differently, that we could make something better, that things could be different than they are, is one of the most powerful things at our disposal. And this is not just, we're not talking religious belief, we're just talking belief. So just to summarize the first point, belief empowers us to try something, to anticipate, to hope, to imagine, to create and prove. And, and then it just keeps going on and on and on, right? We just, we keep pushing ourselves to new limits. We keep believing that new things are possible, that new, new, new barriers can be broken, and then we do it. Belief empowers us to try something that people say is impossible to do. Second, and this is where it starts to get a bit disturbing. We constantly look for evidence to support what we believe to be true. This is particularly true of Republicans <laughs> and Democrats and Libertarians and Independents and everyone else in between. And the truth of the matter is, you're not to blame. You really aren't. And your crazy uncle is not to blame. He really isn't. It's our brain's fault. There's something that happens within the human brain called confirmation bias. Has anyone ever heard of confirmation bias before? Confirmation bias causes us to pay more attention and assign greater credibility or credence to ideas that support our current beliefs. So our brains begin to look for things in the world that reinforce the thing that we already believe. And then there's also something our brains do that, that, that's called a disconfirmation bias, and that causes us to expend a disproportionate amount of energy trying to disprove ideas that contradict our current beliefs. We watch something on TV that supports our way of viewing the world, and we're like, see, see, that, that proves what I, I, was, I, was, I, I said. And then the second that we hear something that counteracts what we believe, we immediately begin jumping through all kinds of mental gymnastics to disprove that thing. And our brains do this for us. Our brains do this for us. And when someone says something that we don't agree with, we then immediately say, well, you can't trust them. They're biased, right? You can't, I don't even wanna watch this anymore. This is ridiculous. Because we are constantly looking for things to support what we already believe and we are filtering out things that we don't believe. And I do this all the time. So for example, I, 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 I am fueled by coffee. That's the only reason I continue to be able to get up here and preach in the morning is because I start off with about 30 to 40 ounces of coffee in the morning. And so by the time I get here, I'm wired, right? Coffee goes away, I go away, right? Like someday when they do an autopsy, they're going to drain me and it will just be coffee pouring out of my body. That was a disturbing image. Anyway, the point is I love coffee. My wife, on the other hand, does not... She does not appreciate coffee in the way that I do. Um, she would say, I like coffee, I'm not obsessed with coffee. She also tries to convince me that my amount, the amount of coffee that I consume might possibly be unhealthy for me. It's a lie, but she believes that it might be true. And so what happens is, is that every, her brain, this is true, her brain is like wired to look for information to disprove that coffee is good for you. And so she sees articles it is an uncanny ability, her ability to find articles to say that coffee is bad for you. And it takes me, when she sends me those articles, it takes me 10 seconds to disprove the argument. Yeah, but did you read the sample size in that study? There's like 10 people. You can't trust that. And it literally, I don't even try. My, I just immediately like, begin to discredit whatever the thing is that has been sent to me. 
But on the reverse, and this is, this is like an example, but it's, it's actually, this is a true story. I have an uncanny ability to see articles in the world that talk about how good coffee is for you. And it is, it's amazing for you. I mean, it, it cuts your risk of all kinds of diseases by like 50%. Um, you really should drink more coffee. But, but the, and the second I send her the article, she immediately starts poking holes in it. And, and she's not even trying to. Like, it, we have a way of finding things that reinforce our view of the world and discrediting things that call our belief into question. And once you, once you embrace a belief, once you believe something is the best way for something to be done, or is the best way for our country to run, or the best way to approach religion, whatever it is, you automatically begin looking for things to support you and filtering out things that don't agree with you. We do this. It's just the way belief works. Like, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not a bad person. You're just human. Third, and this, this leads us to where we're going with religion. Belief is easy to maintain within a community of shared belief. Belief is easy to maintain within a community of shared belief. So you believe something about the world and you already are predisposed to, to looking for things to support your view of the world and you're already screening out things that don't agree with your view of the world. And then what we do is we place ourselves within communities that support our belief of the world. And some of you have you've experienced this because what happens is, what happens is, is you begin, you might want to get that phone. Um, you, uh, uh, you, uh, you begin to have questions about something. You, you break through your confirmation bias and you're like, I don't know if I believe this anymore. You listen to a liturgist podcast, right? And they start putting out this stuff that you're like, ah, I never thought about that before. So then you go to your dinner party and you're like, you know what? I've been rethinking this thing. And then the whole group says, not that this doesn't really have heart. We have very thoughtful people, but like this happens in spaces. Some of you have had this happen to you, maybe not here, but other places. And you go like, hey, you know, I've been rethinking about X, right? Was Jonah really a real dude? And everyone else in the group's like, of course he was a real dude. What is wrong with you? How could you question that? The Bible is inerrant and infallible. Everything is true completely. Don't question it. And then you often, you do one of two things. Either you're like, yeah, I'm an idiot. Well, how did I ever begin to think that? Or you just shut up and you begin to close down. Right? Communities of shared belief are a powerful reinforcer of what we already Believe. And this happens all the time, not just within religious communities, but like you begin to, like people from, when I go to the South, the American South, I, I, I honestly don't understand the way people live down there, the, the way they talk, the way they eat. But if you're from the South, you're like, this is normal. This is the way life should be, right? Every meal should have biscuits and gravy and, and, and lots and lots of butter and lard, right? That's just the way we live. On the other hand, if you were to come to where I'm from, you're like, this is the most tasteless food I've ever had in my whole life. But we don't know it's the most tasteless. We think it's delicious, but we don't realize it's the most tasteless food. In the same way, you have no idea that yours is just running in butter. And Well, you actually do. Um, this might be a bad example. But we, we begin, we look at somebody else who does life differently than wherever we're from or whether, whatever it is we kind of believe about the world, and we're like, how ridiculous are those people? 
And the same way, those people are looking up at us and saying, how ridiculous are those people? Can you believe they live life that way? Can you believe they do life that way? And once you get in a community of shared belief, that community begins to support a belief system. And what you need to know is I think that God gave us the ability to believe because it allows us to create worlds and to change our realities. I think belief is a gift from God. And I think God gave us this gift so that, so that we could move forward. And, and I think there's actually evolutionary reasons for this. And I think belief is a gift. It makes life better. It makes life richer. It allows the world to move forward. It allows us to acquire knowledge. It allows generations to build on what previous generations have done. And it allows us to take incredible leaps into the future. And this isn't about religious belief. This is just what belief allows you to do. It's the power of belief. But now let's talk about religion. So how does religious belief intersect with belief in general? Religious belief is simply belief applied to the things of religious nature. That's it. Religious belief, and there's nothing magical about religious belief. It's just simply belief, the power that all of us have applied to religious things. That's, that's what religious belief is. Religious belief is powerful because belief is power. It, it splits worlds, it splits families, it brings nations together, it creates nations, it solves problems, it causes people to kill each other, and it also causes people to, to do some of the most heroic acts of, of selfless love the world can even imagine. It causes people to build hospitals and to risk their own lives for people they've never met before. And belief is powerful. And religious faith hinges on the idea of believe that or believe this. And what happens is, is that people say believe this or believe that, and then a community begins to form around that belief. So ancient Judaism, right, they believe that, that, that God called Abraham underneath the desert stars and promised him that his his lineage, his descendants would be a great nation. And that story's been told over and over and over. And to this day, the, the, the story is told and the belief is shared that we are descendants of Abraham and this is, like the, this is why we exist. This is who we are. Muslims believe that, that, there is, that the angel Gabriel, Gabriel spoke to the prophet Muhammad in a cave and gave him revelations and then other people begin to join this story and people in Mecca and Medina begin to write down these, write down these things that had, been, that had been given to Muhammad in, the, in this desert cave. And, and, and then before long, other people begin to join and it begins to spread and you end up with a movement. You end up with a religion. Christians believe that Jesus is the son of God and that we believe that Jesus died for us and rose again. But the thing that you need to know is that if you believe anything deeply enough in any religious system, you need to listen because this is disturbing. If you believe something deeply enough in any religious system, it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. It just does. You get enough people believing the same thing and looking for evidence to reinforce their view of the world and you begin to just see things all around you that reinforces your view of the world. 
we all have these believe that's. And you put a bunch of believe that's together or believe this together and you put a label on it and you end up with a religion. And, 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 then, and then you begin to see things that support your view of the world. Think, you, we do this all the time. You know, we, we think that something is going to happen a, a particular way. Let's say we believe that if we pray, something's going to happen. A problem is going to be solved. And then when that doesn't happen, we then begin to explain it away. Well, I ju- you just didn't have enough faith. That's the problem. If you just had more faith, then this belief would have come true. Or, or you know, and we, just, we do this with a million different things, right? When we find an inconsistency in the Bible, we're just like, well... The problem is you don't have the original manuscript. If you had the original autographs, then it would all make sense, right? That's the problem. And so we filter out information that doesn't agree with our view of the world. Now, some of you right now are really disturbed and you wished you hadn't come to church today. And, 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 and others of you are waiting for me to say, have a gotcha. Right, like, you know, leading all into this and like, then there's just like a a twist at the end. There's no gotcha. This is how belief works and you need to know this. And the problem is, or the reason that I'm able to be honest with you all about it, because we, we live in a very, like, you're smart people. You already knew this. You've already thought about this before. This is the thing that keeps you up at night or the thing that bothers you when you're thinking about committing to the Christian faith or about becoming a follower of Jesus because you already knew about confirmation bias and it's the thing that disturbs you because you've already wondered, how do we know that what we believe is true and what someone halfway across the world believes isn't true? How do we believe that we have the right belief? You've thought about this before already. You took your first like comparative religions class and you realized that all these other people aren't insane. Like they believe what they believe just as deeply as you believe what you believe. So then you could rightly ask, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Belief is a gift from God. To believe is to be able to create. It is the most powerful thing at our disposal. And so what I want to do this, evening, this morning as we kind of wrap this up is I want to talk to you for a few minutes about why I believe and why I'm a Christian and why I've decided to follow Jesus. And I want to talk specifically about what the foundation of our faith is because I think this is what you need to wrestle with as you're thinking about restarting your faith. And I want to look specifically at, the, at the, the last moments of Jesus' life and the moments preceding that or following that. Because what we need to know and what we need to understand, and this is the, the gospel writers wrote this down, and they did not sugarcoat this at all. So you can go back and read this for yourself in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When Jesus died, when Jesus died, those closest to him believed he was dead. When Jesus died, those closest to him believed that he was dead. 
When Jesus died, those that knew him best, those that had hung out with him around campfires and listened to him talk and watched him with these incredible witty comebacks to the Pharisees, and they had watched him literally heal people, people who could not see before, people who could not see before could now see. They had watched him raise people from the dead. But when Jesus died, when Jesus died, They believed that was it. That was the end. After all those miracles and all the stupid questions he'd answered from the Pharisees with such, with such wit, they believed that he was a powerful speaker who got himself killed. See, because the thing is, the problem is with Jesus is that Jesus had built everything around himself. Jesus had come and said, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Like, I am the fullest revelation of God in heaven. I am the Son of God. Like, Jesus built it all around him. And so when Jesus dies, those closest to Jesus believed he was dead. And they ran, and they scattered. And they believed that their life was in jeopardy. And what's interesting is, is sometimes I think we try to make the idea, we try to create this idea that, that, how, um, you know, that the, the Christian faith must be true because people were willing to die for their beliefs. Lots of people are willing to die for their beliefs, all sorts of different beliefs. And often when somebody dies, right, when Gandhi dies, his followers are like, oh, his teachings were so good, they were so powerful, we can't let those teachings not pass on to the next generation. And so they begin collecting up what Gandhi had written and begin keeping it for all of us to read someday. Or when some other religious leader dies, right? When that happens, people collect their beliefs. This is true of all sorts of martyrs. When, when, these, when, the, when these people die, right, when, these, when, when, when Muhammad dies, his followers are, are not like, oh, well, everything he said before, uh, you know, everything he taught us, all the, the inspiration he had given us was, was not valid anymore. Now, he hadn't built it around himself. But Jesus had built everything that he had spoken, everything that he had done had centered upon the question of who is Jesus. And then he dies. Rome did what they did best. They stamp out dissent. They stamp out anyone who sees the world differently. And all those people that had hung out with Jesus, who were so captivated by what he had said, they scattered they weren't trying to keep the right, they weren't trying to like find the copies of the Sermon on the Mount. They were just trying to keep themselves alive. And then, and then scripture tells us that something remarkable happened. The, the scriptures tell us that there was this thing called the resurrection and that Jesus rose again and that he, um, that he had breakfast with his disciples and that he showed up in the upper room where they were hanging out. 
but do we have proof, right? Do we have proof? And what I think, and you can disagree with me, this is just, I'm the one with the microphone, so I get to tell you why I believe, and you can tell me what you believe later. Um, What I think is amazing is that the, the gospel writers did not sugarcoat the story. They basically told that they ran away in fear, that it was the end. But then something interesting happens. And this is so fascinating. A few days after Jesus died, a few days after Jesus died, the same people who had scattered went back into Jerusalem to preach a message to everyone that they could see. And the message that they went back in to preach was not about, let me tell you about Let me tell you about the story of the prodigal son, or let me tell you about the Sermon on the Mount. These are the most powerful and the wisest words you've ever heard. No, their message was this. You, no, you in the back, you killed Jesus. I saw you at the rally. You said, give us Barabbas. You killed Jesus. He raised from the dead. We saw him. Now say you're sorry. Like, that was their message. That was what they preached. You killed him. God raised him. We've seen him. Say you're sorry. That was it. That was their, like, that was the message they went preaching. It wasn't trying to keep alive the teachings or anything of Jesus. They're like, we have seen something. And the foundation of, of, the foundation of the Christian faith, the foundation of the Jesus movement, the thing that is so compelling is not about what, it's not about a belief It's about an event that changes human history. And this is the exact same thing for the Apostle Paul. So so Paul comes 20 years after this moment. Paul knows the people who knew Jesus. He hung out with the people who knew Jesus. And, and, And Paul comes 20 years later. And when Paul goes, and he's in Athens, which is essentially a world away, Um, from Jerusalem. And when he's in Athens and he's before all the philosophers and he's making this case about why you should believe, he says, look, he has given us proof to everyone by raising him from the dead. But that was for Paul and for the early followers of Jesus, the resurrection, the event of the resurrection is the pivotal moment in human history. Everything else is before and after that moment. Everything hinges on that. And when Jesus died, when Jesus died, nobody believed that he was alive. None, there are no heroes. In fact, like, there's no one in the story that's like, I actually believed Jesus that you were going to come back, or that you were going to be alive, or you weren't going to stay dead. But Peter was so freaked out, I didn't want him to feel alone. Like, no one, none of Jesus' disciples, by their own telling, believed that Jesus was alive. And all the saints, Peter and John and Matthew, by their own stories, tell us that they were cowards, that they ran away and they lost faith. That's their testimony. And then they saw something, they experienced something, they encountered someone that changed everything for them. And based on that encounter, they went back into the very city that they just fled from with this message saying, We have seen the risen Lord, and you need to say you're sorry. 
God has done something, they believe that God has done something for the whole world and that he raised someone from the dead. And we don't simply believe that Jesus taught true things, we believe that something happened. And this is the foundation of our faith. And as you're kind of wrestling with restarting your faith or starting your faith for the first time, you have to wrestle with this question, who is Jesus? And what you need to know is that the people who knew Jesus best had to wrestle with that exact same question, but the answer pre-resurrection and post-resurrection was completely different. And, and we don't just believe this. I don't believe this just because it's in the Bible, right? The Bible says Jesus is the Son of God. What I find so compelling is that there are these stories that were compiled and written like just a few years after Jesus died by the very people who knew Jesus. He said, we have seen him. We had breakfast with him around the campfire. He's alive. And there's all kinds of stuff we could talk, into, talk about. as like how myths develop and how long it takes for myths to develop and everything. What you need to know is, in short, you don't like start immediately sharing that someone like that this immediately afterwards. Because right? people are like, no, no, dude, he's, no, he's still, like all these people all these people are coming saying, no, we, we experienced, we saw the risen Jesus. We saw him. People die for what they believe all the time. That's nothing new. But his disciples were willing to die for what they saw. A resurrected Jesus. And so the question that you have to wrestle with as you're thinking about starting your faith is answering is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And what I believe is that in the resurrection, the life and the teachings and the ministry of Jesus are validated. So I don't believe that God hears my prayers because it's written down in some ancient text somewhere that's like somehow sacred and holy and everything is perfect and true. I mean, we, like, not that I don't believe that, but that's not what's powerful to me. What's powerful to me is I believe that God answers my prayers because Jesus who died and those who knew him best saw him, was resurrected, who claimed to be the son of God, tells us that, that God answers our prayers. That the, the God the Father hears when we pray in private. And, and when God tells us, or when Jesus says there is a new and a better way of living, there is a new world that is coming into the present. Dead things don't have to stay dead. New worlds are possible. There is a new and a better way of living. I don't just believe it just because of some words on a page. But because the people who knew Jesus best, the same people who ran away in fear, the same people ran away in fear, said, we saw the resurrected Jesus and we are willing to stake our life on it. And if you want to like say, yeah, I don't know, I, I, want to, I want to go deeper into what you're saying today. There is a phenomenal book. It's only 950 pages long. It's called The Resurrection of Jesus and the Son of God. It's a brilliant book by N.T. Wright. But, but he, he's, a, he's a brilliant historian, but he kind of goes into this much deeper. Or you could just listen to the sermon. Um, I'm not a Christian because the Bible says so or the Bible says believe. It's better than that. And I'm not a Christian just because of the people saying believe this over that. I'm a Christian because of an event that changed the course of human history.
And this is a message for the whole world. A single event changed how those closest to Jesus would ultimately answer the question, who is Jesus? Now, I told you at the beginning of the sermon I wanted to end with a question. The question is this. Did you find this sermon disturbing? Did you find this sermon disturbing? And I hope you're part of a dinner party, and if you're not, um, I'd encourage you to find a dinner party. But I want you to answer this question within your dinner party. Did you find this sermon disturbing? And if so, which parts and why? Especially if you're a Christian, right? Did any of this, like, begin to shake your faith? You're like, whoa, I, I never thought of that before. I guess that's kind of true. And the thing is, the reason I'm not afraid to, to wrestle with deep and big questions is because I believe that, I believe there, I believe we have nothing to be afraid of. And I am a thinker, right? You need to know that, like, I wrestle things to the ground and tear them apart. And the thing that I'm most committed to, the thing that I'm dedicating my life to, is that there was once a guy who was dead, and now he is alive. And he provides a new and a better way of living. The way that we are living now is not the way we have to live in the future. And that if we participate in Christ's death and resurrection, that new life is available to us today.